So we're continuing on this morning, um, as Lorraine said in the prayer, we're continuing um, in our, our series um, on spiritual warfare, um, entitled You Can Stand. Um, so this morning um, I'm looking, starting looking at the, the armour of God, uh, and Mark is going to finish that off um, next week. Let's start again by, by reading Ephesians chapter 6. Uh, verses 10 to 20, just to remind us again of the, the passage which is um, central to this um, to this series this morning. Uh, I think there is meant to be slides, um, but I think the AV folk are, yay, thank you, there we go. I've said this very often, and it's always worth saying, always, always have sympathy for the AV people, okay, when it goes right, nobody notices, when it goes wrong, everybody notices. So, Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 to 20. Finally, be strengthened in the Lord and by his vast strength. Put on the full armour of God so that you can stand against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but it's against the rulers, the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this darkness, against evil spiritual forces in the heavens. For this reason, take up the full armour of God, so that you may be able to resist in the evil day. And having prepared everything, to take your stand. Stand, therefore, with truth like a belt around your waist, righteousness like armour on your chest, and your feet sandaled with the readiness for the gospel of peace. In every situation, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Pray at all times in the Spirit with every prayer and request and stay alert with all perseverance and intercession for all the saints. Pray also for me that the message may be given to me when I open my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I might be bold enough to speak about it as I should. Amen. So just to confuse you this morning, I'm going to start at the end. Because what I want to say, the first thing I want to say to you is, what do I want you to remember at the end of this sermon? What I want you to remember this morning at the end of this sermon is six words. Technically, four words, but in reality, six words. And those six words are, flick on for me people, that's okay. (laughs) There we go, six words. Speak truth, live truth, and believe truth. That's it, six words. So, for everything I say this morning, that's what I want you to remember. Speak truth, live truth, believe truth. Okay. Last week, Mark started this series of spiritual warfare by warning about the dangers of being complacent about the reality of Satan and the spiritual forces of darkness that oppose God and by extension oppose us as God's people. It's, it's often been said that the devil's greatest trick was to convince people that he, didn't, that he doesn't exist. And so therefore, it enables him to go about and do his work 
unhindered, if we're not alert, if we're not prepared, and if we're not looking out for them being at work. But equally, Mark also warned us about going to the other extreme. I say very often that error is always found at the extremes, but the truth is somewhere in between. And so the opposite error sometimes can be to see Satan as being so powerful that we see him as being everywhere, behind everything that happens to us. That somehow Satan's power has more influence in our life than God's power. And we need to remember this morning, again, Lorraine read the, the, the verses from, uh, from Matthew where Jesus said that on this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And we need to remember this morning, the church is not some kind of spiritual air raid shelter where we all huddle out in fear, waiting for the bombardment of the enemy to come to an end and for God to sound the all clear of the second coming. The church is a spiritual barracks where God sends out the special forces of his people to go and to attack the enemy and to reclaim the hostages that the enemy is holding prisoner. That's what the church is. That's the power, that's the authority that we have in Christ. And so we are to recognise that we already have this victory in Christ. Um, that through the through the cross, and so we have to take our stand against Satan and against these spiritual forces with faith and with confidence, not with fear and cowering. And so this week, as I said, we're going to start by looking at the armor of God that the that Paul uh, urges the readers of Ephesians to put on, and he says, so that you may be able to resist in the evil day, and having prepared everything to take your stand. And this morning, as we start and talk about the armour of God, I'm conscious that there is the same danger this week that Mark mentioned last week. And that is that when we talk about the armour of God, that there are some people who can think, well, this doesn't really apply to me. You know, I don't need the armour of God because I'm not involved in spiritual warfare. I don't want to be involved in spiritual warfare. Or you can say, well, you know, I'm not under attack. Which is great because God does bless some people with a hedge of protection where they seem to just go through life where there are no problems. You know, their health is not under attack. Their finances aren't attacked. Their relationships aren't attacked. Uh, and so, yeah, you have that protection from God that sometimes you don't even realise is there. You might say that, you know, I don't need the armour because, well, I'm only a nutrition. I don't know that much, so I can't imagine the devil's that interested in attacking me. But I want to show you this morning that the armour of God is relevant to every Christian, new or old or whatever, and that relevance comes from answering the first question we come to this morning. Paul says twice, put on the full armour of God. Well, the question from that becomes, well, how do you put on the full armour of God? There's two main approaches to putting on the armour of God. Um, one is to look upon this passage almost as being like a, a model prayer, a bit like the Lord's Prayer. You know, a pattern of prayer that we should follow. And so some people treat this passage as something that when you get up in the morning, 
that you go through each part bit by bit and you put on the armour by declaring in prayer, Lord, today, help me to be someone who speaks truth. Help me to be someone who does what is right. Help me to be someone who shares the, the truth about Jesus with people. Help me to think the right things. Help me to trust in you. Help me to be obedient to your words. The other way of looking at it um, is to look at this passage as describing the character, the nature of what it means to be a Christian, what it means to be um, a follower of Jesus. Um, And that was the first approach, the prayer approach, was what I was taught when I first became a Christian. But over the years, being the good Baptist I am, I've come to the conclusion that it's not one or the other, but it's both. Because the reality is that if we make a conscious effort, and a, you know, not necessarily every day, but a regular effort to do a sort of spiritual inventory and say, am I someone that speaks the truth? Am I someone that lives the truth? Am I someone that believes the truth? Do I think the truth? Do I stand on, do I trust the truth? Do I use the truth? That as we do that on a regular basis, what happens is, like the fruit of the Holy Spirit, these things grow into our lives and they become part of who we are as Christians. And that's why the armour is relevant to all of us. Because this describes who we should be in Christ. So, to emphasise that, let's start now by looking at the armour in more detail. So we start with the belt of truth. And Paul's picture here about the armour of God is based on the equipment of the Roman soldier. Ephesians and some of Paul's other letters were written while Paul was under house arrest in Rome. And he was literally chained by one uh, arm to a Roman soldier who was standing a few feet away from him. And so he starts with the belt because it's actually the most important part of the armour. I'm at the stage now where my belly means I don't really need a belt to hold my trousers up. But we all understand how important a belt can be. And for a Roman soldier, the belt was important because, as we're going to talk about in a minute, the breast piece, for instance, um, tied front and back onto the belt so that when he was in battle, that when he moved, the breast piece didn't just swing out and and expose him. The belt was the thing that he would use to carry his equipment, whether it was his sword or dagger or something else. I was thinking this morning, um, since we can't really dig up a Roman centurion to come here and stand and, and illustrate the photo, I thought this morning I should actually have asked Paul to have come um, in his uniform. I don't think Lorraine said he probably wouldn't be allowed. But Paul, uh, if you ever watch a policeman in Scotland, you'll see the belt that they have round about them. You know, and it's loaded up with, you know, the, the, the crunching, the handcuffs, um, CS spray, and probably a packet of sandwiches, and I don't know what else that a policeman carries, <laughs> carries in his belt. Paul can enlighten me later on. But that's what the belt was. It was the thing that was central to the, the soldier's armour. And everything else depended on that belt being in place and being secure. And so truth is the most important part of our weapon in fighting Satan. 
because Satan is the complete opposite of truth. In the Bible, Satan is described as being um, the, the, the father of liars. I like it when Jane so wrapped in the sermon that she forgets to, know, to move on. That's okay. So he's described as being the father of liars. But look at that in complete contrast to the fact that God our Father is described as not being able to lie. It is impossible for God to lie. Jesus, the Son, is described as the way, the truth, and the life. And the Holy Spirit is described as the Spirit of truth. So truth is central to the nature and the character of God, and therefore truth needs to be central to us as Christians and as believers, as followers of Jesus. So again, my question to you this morning is, if we talk about the relevance and the importance of the armour of God, who do you want to be like this morning? Do you want to be like Satan, a liar, a deceiver? Or do you want to be like our Heavenly Father? Do you want to be like our God? People that speak the truth, that are known for speaking the truth, people who are known for doing the right thing, even when it is hard or costly, or even when there's no one about to see whether we do the right thing or not. And again, Lorraine mentioned this morning, I couldn't believe that I would prepare a sermon on the importance of truth in a week like we've had this week in the news, when we see politicians and we see celebrities and people in power and influence literally lying through their teeth um, and uh, trying to, to deceive and trying to confuse and only being prepared to speak the truth when they've eventually been dragged, kicking and screaming into the light and the truth about their uh, hypocrisy has finally been exposed. So truth needs to be central to us as Christians. And I want to, import, to point out this morning, again, as we go through this armour, it's important to realise that the armour of God is not something that we do. It's something that God does for us. So right back at the beginning of our reading, it began with these words, be strengthened by the Lord and by his vast strength. And so when we put on truth, we are agreeing with God that truth is important. And we are believing that God will work in us to make us people of truth just as he is the God of truth. So speak truth. Now we come to the armour of righteousness and to living truth. Now pretty much every other English translation, rather than using the talking about the armour of righteousness, speaks about the breastplate of righteousness. And I will probably just refer to the breastplate of righteousness, uh, if nothing else, just out of habit. But the CSV, the, the Christian Standard Version, is right to call it the armour, because sometimes folk want to make um, something of the idea that talks about a breastplate, but there's nothing to protect your back. Well, again, the reality is that as Paul was looking at a Roman soldier, the breast piece was something that, that went, over his, went over his head and it covered front and back. And again, to go back to the analogy that we're probably more used to seeing, that of a policeman, and again, Paul will be very acquainted with this and very appreciative of it, but our policemen these days wear stab vests to protect 
the, the vital organs, to protect the heart, to protect their lungs. And it is there not just to protect the front, it's there to protect the sides, it's there to protect the back. So again, it's an essential part of a soldier's equipment in order to keep them safe. And if we are going to be people who speak the truth, we also have to be people who do the truth. Because the Pharisees were really good at speaking the truth. You know, but the one thing that Jesus hated was the hypocrisy of those that could say all the right things and in public do all the right things. But he spoke about the heart and about the, the evil, about the darkness that was inside them. And so we not only have to be people who speak the truth, we have to be people who live the truth. That it's not just a case that our Christian life is do as I say, but it's also one of do what I do. And that's what has angered so many people in the past few weeks with our leaders. Because that's been their attitude. Don't do as, do as I say, don't do as I do. And that has no place in a Christian's life. The common translation of Psalm 51 verse 6, which I want to point out to you, was read twice last week, and as I've said to you before, when God repeats himself, you listen and you pay attention. Psalm 51 verse 6 says, You desire truth in the innermost being. The Christian standard version says, Surely you desire integrity in the inner self. And again, I want to emphasize this. It goes on to say, And you Teach me wisdom deep within. So, the breastplate of righteousness, the armour of righteousness, is something that God gives us. It's not just something that we make up our minds like a New Year's resolution. I'm going to be a better person this, this year. You know, I'm going to treat people better. I'm going to be uh, harder working. I'm going to be more considerate of other people. I'm going to be kinder. That's not what it means to put on the armour of God. Instead, the armour of God is saying, I surrender myself to you, Lord, and I want you to work in me. I want you to change me from the inside out, not just me hoping for the best. In the Bible, righteousness has a double meaning. One of the meanings is that we are declared to be not guilty of sin before God. But the second meaning is that we are enabled to do what is right and what God wants. But either way, righteousness like truth is something that God does for us, not something that we do for ourselves. And I could give you many scriptures as an example, but just one is Romans chapter 3, verse 22. Righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. So righteousness is something that a righteous God gives to each and every one of us to enable us to be more like him. Again, Mark pointed out last week that the, the word Satan means the accuser. Satan is always there, you know, poking with your finger, always trying to tell you what a failure are. You know, that you've not done this, you've not done that. You're not good, you're not that, you're not the next thing. Satan wants to come to you and whisper in your ear, God will never forgive you. Righteousness says God's already forgiven you. Satan wants to come and poke you and say, you'll never change. 
You've always been like this. You always will be like this. Righteousness says that we are being changed every single day. So we have the belt of truth so that we will speak the truth. We have the breastplate of righteousness so that we will live the truth. And then we come to the shoes, the shoes of the readiness of the gospel of peace so that we can live, that we can believe the truth. A Roman soldiers, a Roman soldiers wore open-toed sandals. Now I'm sorry, but today in the west of Scotland, you only wear open-toed sandals in the summer when it's good weather, um, or if you want to wear strappy shoes to go to something like a wedding uh, or some important occasion like that. Sandals are not really west of Scotland's footwear, but a Roman soldier's sandals um, were tied to the bottom half of the to the bottom of their legs. But the thing that made them important and made them useful was they had a huge thick sole on them in which they um, hammered nails into them to act as studs. And because of those sandals, a Roman soldier could march for miles. But it also meant that when a Roman soldier was in battle and not on a nice smooth road, but in a muddy up and down battlefield, that those souls dug into the ground and gave them a good firm footing because there is no point in waving a big heavy sword about or trying to hold a big heavy shield if the first thing that happens is that your feet slip out from under you and you go down. So the the shoes, the sandals that a Roman soldier wore gave them a good grip, a good solid foundation in which to stand on. And by now, you should be starting to see a pattern emerging that when we talk about the parts of the armour, there's always a double meaning. There's a reflection of who God is, and it becomes a reflection of who we are. And translations really struggle to convey this, this entire phrase. Very often when we talk about the third part of the, the armour, we refer to the shoes of the gospel, or we refer to the shoes of the gospel of peace. But again, actually, look at the full title. It is the shoes of the readiness of the gospel of peace. It's a mouthful, but it's an important mouthful. And it's that readiness, which is equally important as the last bit, the gospel of peace. So, one of the best translations I can find is found in the, the Amplified Bible. There that says, having having strapped on your feet the gospel of peace in preparation, and it explains, to face the enemy with a firm-footed stability and the readiness to produce, the readiness produced by the good news. So that's why I've summarized the, the shoes of the readiness of the gospel of peace is believing the truth. Because it's the gospel itself which is the firm, unshakable foundation that we stand on. Again, a verse that I quote time and time and time again because I believe that Christians need to hear it said in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 8, You are saved by grace through faith and this is not from yourselves, it is God's gift. And it can't be said enough, we need to be reminded as Christians 
that we are saved not because somehow we are special or because we are better than other people. Grace means that God treats us not as we deserve, but as he chooses to. So salvation is given as God's gift. It's something that we cannot buy. It's something that we cannot earn. It's something that we cannot repay God for. We simply accept it and we receive his forgiveness and we receive the change and transformation that comes with it. I love it um, when, um, when before you even stand up to preach that, um, God, that God confirms that you're on the right track. This was, the, this was the song that was in my mind this week when I was talking about the, the shoes of the preparation of the gospel of peace. When Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within, upwards I look and see him there who made an end to all my sin. Isn't it odd? Isn't it a coincidence that we have to sing this this morning? All I gave Amy this week was the passage that I was preaching on and I left the choice of songs up to her. Isn't it nice when the Holy Spirit um, is clearly at work um, in a service and reminding us of his truth? So the first meaning of the shoes of the preparation of the gospel of peace um, is to recognize the truth that we stand on. That we have never been good enough to be forgiven never will be, but God has done it anyway. That we cannot change ourselves by our own efforts, but we can and we will be and we are being transformed by the Holy Spirit. But the second meaning of the preparation, the shoes of the preparation of the gospel of peace comes from the fact that when we fully appreciate what God has done for us, when we really believe that God can work in us, not just in someone else, not in the preacher standing up the front, not in the past, not just in the pastor, but God can actually use me. When we really believe that truth, then the second thing that happens is that we want other people to have what we have. We want to see other people believing what we believe. We want to see people being transformed by the same truth that we speak. We want to see people living the same truth that we live. And so we want to share that truth with other people. And that's why there is a lovely verse in Isaiah 52, verse 7, that says, How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of the herald who proclaims peace, who brings good news of good things, who proclaims salvation, who says to Zion, Your God reigns. When we really believe that God is working in us, and when we really believe that God can work through us, we will find ourselves in situations where we are sharing with people what God has done for us, and we'll not actually realise it's happened, because God has made it happen, and God has put us in just that situation. Again, there are people that only you as an individual can speak to and can share the gospel with. And again, sometimes sharing the gospel doesn't actually mean, again, as Lorena referred to this morning, doesn't even sometimes use the words. Because people should be able to look at us and hear us speak truth. They should be able to look at us and see that we live truth. People should be able to look at us and see that we believe the truth. Then that should make them realise there's something different about us. But you 
can speak that truth and live that truth and believe that truth in front of your family, your friends, your neighbours, your work colleagues, but if they're never going to meet me, they've no idea who I am. But they're watching you and they're listening to you. And so every single day, whether you realize it or not, God is sending you out with the shoes of the readiness of the gospel of peace. God is sending you out as a messenger to proclaim the good news, to proclaim salvation, to proclaim that our God reigns. So I hope this morning that you see now why the armour of God is important and is relevant to every single one of us, not just the special few. There are no special few, by the way, just in case you're wondering. Taking our stand and putting on the full armour of God means it's submitting to God so that he can change and transform us so that we become more like him. We've had a couple of babies this morning. And the first thing that folk always say when you look at a baby is, who does he look like? You know, does he look like his mum? Does he look like his dad? You know? And if we are children of God, then folk should be able to look at us and say that we have our Father's heart. That we are just like a dad. And that's what it means to put on the armour of God. That we believe that God can change and transform us to make us more like him. People who speak the truth, not lies. People who live the truth, not in hypocrisy and not in doing wrong, not in taking revenge, not in gossiping, not in attacking people. People um, who, who live and who believe and trust in God's truth and not in the deceptions and the lies of Satan and the world. So this morning, I'll keep coming back to these six words. Do you speak the truth? Do you uh, love the truth? Do you believe the truth? And I want us to respond to that this morning in, in whatever way that, that maybe God leads you. And it might be for someone either here this morning or somebody who is watching um, the, the live stream or watching a recording of this. The first thing is that you haven't actually put your trust in God. That this morning is perhaps the first time that God has challenged you to believe the truth about who he is. About the, the, the salvation, the forgiveness, the righteousness that he offers you this morning as a gift. No cost to you, but an immense cost to him. So if you want to know more about that, then you can speak to me, you can speak to Mark or Paul, or, or speak to someone here that maybe that you know and that you trust. How, not only, how do you learn to put your trust in Christ? How do you become a new creation, a new person, so that God can begin that process, so that you can be on that journey of being changed and transformed like him? Here this morning we have the opportunity to respond to this message and to what God is doing by taking communion. And when we come and we take this bread and we take this wine, we recognize, first of all, the cost of the salvation that God gives to us. But it's also, it's a making a commitment 
It's not about minutely examining ourselves and feeling that we need to confess every sin and every wrong that I've done. And I'm not saying that confession is not important. But it's about recognising that we, because Christ died for us, we are forgiven. The blood speaks about not only a life that has been shed for our life, but it speaks about a new life that we take in, that we share with Christ. And so communion is about coming to God. Be honest and say, God, I've not always been someone that's spoken the truth. I've not always been someone who's acted truthfully. I've not always necessarily believed your truth. But I want you to work in me so that that will happen. And so that that will change. And again, just have that sense that God will hear that prayer. God will delight in answering that prayer and changing us and transforming us and using us. So, are you committed this morning to speaking the truth and living the truth so that others will see that we believe the truth and come to believe the truth themselves? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you this morning that time and time again your word reminds us that your divine power has been given to us and in doing so has given us everything required for life and godliness through the knowledge of him who has called us by his own glory and goodness. We thank you, Heavenly Father, that no matter how we see ourselves, if we if we beat ourselves up because we see ourselves as the worst, the worst person ever, that somehow no one, not even God himself, could forgive us, then Father, we thank you this morning for the truth of your word that says that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Heavenly Father, we pray this morning... Uh, again, your word says if we hunger and thirst for righteousness, we will be satisfied. And so we pray that you would give us a desire that we would look at our lives not in beating ourselves up again, but seeing that actually we have been changed. We are different from how we first were when we came to Christ. And to recognize that, yes, that change will never be complete until we stand before you in glory and see you in all your glory. But it is happening day by day. And help us, Heavenly Father, to be willing to let that continue and work. And again, Heavenly Father, help us to believe that not only are we forgiven, not only are we accepted, not only are we being changed and transformed, but we thank you, Heavenly Father, that like the soldier, that we're being equipped. You're not, asking us to pray. You're not asking us to pay for our own armour. You give it to us like salvation is free. Help us, Heavenly Father, to put it on day by day, trusting that you will do everything that we need to help us serve you. And we pray that as we do so, people will be able to see us and see that we are different from those round about us because of who we follow because of the God that we are obedient to and because of the God that we seek to be like by his power. In Jesus' name, amen.